Welcome back, Fight Fans, to episode number 291 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are checking me out live right now. As always, I remind you, please make sure you subscribe and you click that little notification bell so you never miss a live version of the show. If you can't catch us live, it's all good. The audio podcast version goes out on Montero on Boxing, my platforms, on podcast platforms across the world on Tuesdays, okay? So you could check me out anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just look for Montero Unboxing, The Neutral Corner. Boom, you'll find me. Make sure that you're following me, leaving ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. My fee for watching this show is that you guys just tell somebody about it. Every week, tell somebody about the show. Share it on your social. That's all I ask. Non-monetary fee. That's it. So we don't do ads on the show. We all, we spread up that word of mouth, okay? I really need your help to do that. TNC 291 for the week of November 27. Happy early Thanksgiving to all my friends out there. Um, don't eat too much. Uh, you know what? Go ahead and just eat. Go ahead and just freaking eat, man. I can't wait to freaking eat. Uh, and hey, guess what? Here's what's crazy with my family. My little sister, Jennifer, is having her second baby on Thanksgiving. It's either going to be Thanksgiving night or Black Friday. She's actually going to the hospital on Thanksgiving. She's scheduled to go in after we have Thanksgiving dinner at her house. So we're going up to her house. We're going to help take care of her little one, Luca, who's about to turn three years old. So I'll be uh, Uncle Mike being babysitter. Me and my wife, Tiffany, will be playing babysitter this weekend. We'll do Thanksgiving dinner early. Then my sister's going to the hospital. So at some time, uh, Thanksgiving night or on Black Friday, she's going to have her second son it's gonna be a boy and i still haven't picked a name they're still going back and forth over names i think they're gonna go with enzo that's my pick that's my official prediction we'll see what happens okay anyway let's get into uh news and or notes um much to discuss and by the way so phone lines open i know you guys are gonna have a lot to say just uh as always wait you know let me get my thing in review preview and then we'll get you guys on the phones okay so um you know, some, there's actually some news to talk about. Let me jump into this, man. Um, top rank. I thought this was very, very – this is a big deal. Top rank signs Keyshawn Davis and Richard Torres Jr. Um, right out of the Olympics, right? These two guys were medalists for the United States over in Tokyo. Uh, Davis got a, uh, a silver title. Or I'm, I'm sorry, a silver medal. <laughs> silver. There actually are silver titles now, so it's easy to get confused. A silver medal – for lightweight over in Tokyo and Torres got a silver medal in the heavyweight division. And this is a clean sleep uh, sweep of top rank with the entire men's U S Olympic team from the Tokyo games. They had already signed Duke Reagan who won uh, silver at 126 at featherweight. They signed Troy Isley, who was a, a middleweight Olympian and tiger Johnson was a welterweight. So the entire men's team all went with top rank. I think that's very, very telling. Uh, Keyshawn Davis uh, brought his brother along. So top rank also signed Kelvin Davis. And the Davis brothers will train with Bo Mack, Brian McIntyre, and Terrence Crawford at that great camp that they're building out there in Omaha. Uh, Jamel Herring trains out there, a couple other guys. So um, that's going to be great for them. They're going to have great people around them. And that tells you uh, top rank is really invested in the Davis brothers, particularly Keyshawn Davis. He's probably going to be the gold standard you know, from that Olympic class. Um, I thought this was very, very interesting. The entire roster goes with one promoter. Usually you see them broken up, right? And 
one or two guys might go with Golden Boy. Several of them go with PBC, maybe even Matchroom or something like that. But all of them, all five of them go with top rank. Very, very telling. And I think that, you know, in the social media age, more and more fighters are paying attention. Their family members, their parents are getting involved in the business side of it. A lot of fathers managing their sons, training their sons. These guys are getting advisors. They're getting um, people involved early in the process. And people know nobody builds a prospect into a contender, into a young star, better than top rank. And I'm going to sound like a PR guy for top rank in this segment. I'm not trying to be. It's just certain truths are, are, are true. I, you just cannot deny it. These guys have been in business for decades, pretty much longer than anybody around. And they continue to stay in the black every year financially. Uh, and they continue to build stars. And they continue to sign Americans out of the Olympics and set themselves up with a good roster to continue on in the future. They have loads of international talent, but they also have great American talent. And that's something that the, the narrative from certain figures in the United States media, uh, boxing media, and, and just the fan base and stuff, some of the you know channels, the wacky channels on YouTube and stuff, the narrative there is that top rank doesn't deal with American fighters, specifically black American fighters. It's just simply not true. And there's just there's a ton of evidence to, to go against that narrative. But that narrative is pushed all the time in certain channels and certain platforms in the American boxing community, if you will. Um, and again, this just shatters that narrative once again. Um, I, I thought this was very interesting. Um, Rick Glazer tweeted something this weekend um, after Terrence Crawford won. Of course, we're going to talk all about the Crawford-Porter fight. I got a ton of opinions about that. But he tweeted out that PBC is now 4-18 against top-ranked fighters in recent years. So when these two sides have worked together and crossed the street, and it's usually top fighters fighting each other. It's not, you know, low-level uh, journeyman type guys fighting each other. It's top fighters. PBC is 4-18, all right? 22 fights have happened. PBC's won four of them. Make no mistake, this is the most one-sided rivalry in all of boxing globally. You could take, you know, the national rivalries. You could take promotional network rivalries. This is the most one-sided rivalry that exists. Now, to be fair, I haven't fact-checked this tweet from, from Rick, but he's generally speaking on point. Whether you like Rick or don't, and he's kind of one of those polarizing guys. For me, Rick's always been cool to me. I've never had a problem with Rick. He seems to be a pretty cool guy. Uh, he still works with a lot of young fighters. He's recently signed on some young fighters uh, that he's helping kind of advise and manage a little bit. So I, th I take him at his word on this. And I just think remembering the, the fights we've had in recent years, it goes along with this narrative. Um, I don't think it is a narrative. I just think it's the, the, the facts. What does this say? Okay. And I could really do a whole video just talking about this on my channel. If that's something you guys are interested in, let me know. and We'll do that. But what does this say? I think it says that one platform is much, much, much better at developing talent and preparing them and getting them ready to go off and fight the best fighters in the world. The other promotion is not nearly as good as that. And that's why they keep things in house and protect their fighters more. This isn't me hating. This isn't me trying to draw some political line in the sand or whatever. 
And I'm not even trying to sit here and say one way of doing business is better than the other. All that can be debated, okay? And there's there's good and bad on both sides. There's plenty of things Top Rank does that drive me nuts. And there's plenty of things that PBC does that I agree with. However, what cannot be denied is that if you look at the superstars in this sport over the last 10, 20, 30 years, they've all been developed by Top Rank. People forget Floyd Mayweather was a top-ranked fighter. He was developed by top rank. Oscar De La Hoya was a top-ranked fighter. He was developed by top rank. They get these guys to a certain point, and then they feel like they want to spread their wings and fly out on their own and do their own thing. And Oscar was ready. Floyd was ready. I think Terrence Crawford's ready now. I think he's ready to go off on his own for a little while. He's nowhere near the superstar those, those guys were. But he's done everything he can do at top rank. The one thing top rank doesn't do as well, maybe as PBC Matchroom, is make the biggest events and get their guys the absolute most money, right? They're, they're not in that business, but they build fighters into champions better than anybody so that when their guys finally cross the street, because all promoters do things in-house at first. Up front, all promoters do it. But when their guys cross the street, whether it's voluntarily or they have to with a mandatory situation, whatever it is, their guys do better than everyone else. The reason is they know how to develop talent. The other guys don't do it as well. And there's just evidence of this over and over and over. And it's relevant to this week's episode because of what we saw when Terrence Crawford fought Sean Porter last Saturday in Las Vegas. And of course I'll do a detailed review in just a minute, but I want to preface it, okay, because there's a political element here because this was a PBC guy, a stable of the PBC, you know, uh, roster, uh, their 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 brand, especially at welterweight, going up against a top-ranked guy. And you saw a level of just a different level in Terrence Crawford that Spence and Thurman didn't get to against Porter. And of course, everyone on Twitter, everyone, but there's a lot of the PBC guys on Twitter, um, you know, the PBC sycophants, whether they be the fans or, or actually media guys that are cozy and, and been taken care of financially and everything and hooked up uh, politically by the PBC, uh, been given jobs and such. And not that that doesn't happen on other platforms, because it does, okay? I'm just specifically speaking about this group. Um, I'm seeing tweets saying that Porter threw the fight, that it was fixed, that Porter was winning like seven rounds to three at the time of the stoppage. Uh, Kenny was paid off. The fix was just all this kind of shit. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And the reason why you're seeing people saying those things is because of what this Terrence Crawford W represents. But if you back up and go to, to Rick Glazer's tweet that I just talked about, it's just this fight was just indicative of what we've seen in recent years. It, it's part of a pattern. And it's difficult for some people to, to hear. It's difficult for them to swallow. Uh, but it's the truth. And, and, and so we can argue why it is this way, why one side seems to win out more than the others. But what we can't argue is the result. The result is the result. So now, obviously, the fight to make, the fight everybody wants, is Errol Spence and, and Terrence Crawford, right? Errol Spence was ringside for this for this fight Saturday in Vegas and at Mandalay Bay. And he didn't have the best body language 
um, it was kind of um, very telling his body language and some of his, his facial reactions at the fight and the way he just bounced and wanted no part of answering any questions after the fight. All that was very, very telling. But what's interesting to me is that this fight's still relevant. Uh, let me pull up a, a tweet, a little poll I just did on Twitter. And I just did this today, so I don't have many votes, but I wanted to show this to you guys. Um, so for those of you listening to the audio pod, I'll, I'll read this out loud. Today, I, I did a Twitter poll, uh, and I said, serious question, no trolling. Which welterweight fight would you rather see in 2022? Crawford versus Spence or Virgil Ortiz versus Jerron Boots Ennis? And it's about three to one, 75% to 25% that prefer Bud versus Earl. That's surprising to me, over 400 votes so far. So not that many votes, but like I said, I just put this up today. So maybe we'll get some more votes in the next day or so, right? We'll get that up to like a thousand to get a better sample size. But still, I think that's really telling because I was actually surprised. I expected it to be closer to 50-50 because there's a lot of people out there that are kind of burnt out on the talk of Crawford and Spence. And, and I understand that because I kind of am too. But a lot of people, some of the responses I read was, you know, there's still time for Boots and, and Virgil to fight. And I understand that from a business point of view, but it drives me crazy. But that's just the way the game is played now. That's the way the business of boxing is now in uh, the 2020s. I don't like it at all. In fact, it drives me crazy sometimes, but that is the way the sport uh, plays out. Because I was looking at this, guys. Uh, assuming they fight next year, assuming Earl and Bud fight in 2022, Earl will be 32, Bud will be 35, okay? That's crazy to me, but that's the way it works now. These guys fight, build up their resume, stack a few million, delay the big one as absolutely long as they can, then they fight each other. That's the way it's done. And we see this time and time and time again. And I give the example of Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns fighting back in the early 80s. They were in their early 20s. And I use that example because they were both welterweights, both American. Um, uh, I think, yeah, both undefeated when they fought. And um, because that was such a big, big fight, and they ended up having this series of fights that it built them from stars into legends, right? There's a difference between a star and a legend. Guys like Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearns, Roberto Duran, these guys are legends. They're not just superstars. And you can't delay the big fights until your mid-30s and become a legend. It just doesn't work that way. You can become a legend on Twitter and social media with your sycophants and your little cultish little fan base. But in the broader spectrum, the broader uh, fan base, you're not going to be seen that way because you didn't have the fights. You didn't have the rivalries. You know what I'm saying? You got to have those rivalries on the way up. So if Spence and, 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 and Crawford fight next year, by the way, I'm saying Earl because that's the way everybody seems to pronounce his name. And I think it's hilarious. So I'm just going to start calling him Earl because that's the way most people uh, on these YouTube videos to say his name. It's hilarious. It, it's Errol, by the way. It's Errol Spence Jr., but I'm just going to call him Earl because that's what everyone else seems to say. So yeah, Earl Bud fight next year, and that's no guarantee, by the way. They'll be 32 and 35. 
a lot of you guys don't like my Leonard and Hearns comparison because you're like, man, that that's like 40 years ago. The game ain't played that way anymore. Look, I, I understand that. You're kind of part of the problem if you're saying that. It's not that I don't acknowledge and don't understand the way the game is played now. Intellectually, I get it, guys. I work in the fucking business. Of course I know it. I, I understand. But at some point, if we don't say something about it, we're kind of just enabling the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And, and like I've watched the 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 relevance, the cultural relevance of the sport of boxing continue to be minimalized in this country year after year. I see certain platforms contributing to that more than others. I voice my opinion about it because I care. I love this sport and care about it and want to see it thrive. And I get called all sorts of ISTs for it. Well, it, it, I don't know why. Uh, it, it makes no sense. But that's what people, you know, people with agendas do. Anyway, I won't even use Leonard versus Hearns. Okay, I was a child of the '80s. I was a, I was a baby. I was a young boy. I was a teenager in the '90s. My generation's version of Leonard and Hearns was when Roy Jones fought James Tony in 1994. Do you guys know how old they were? Quick, I'll give you a second to get in the chat and answer. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you guys are like Googling shit right now, box rec. Roy Jones was 25 when he fought James Tony. James Tony was 26. He looked 40. James Tony is one of those guys that probably looked 40 in high school. Probably had a beard in the second grade and shit. He's just always looked old, right? He just looks old for his age. Straight up, he was 26. And Roy was 25 when they fought. And at the time, they weren't just seen as the two top guys in their division. They were seen as the two top guys in the fucking sport, man. I can't remember their exact pound for pound rating, but Tony was either number two or number, or maybe Tony was number two and Roy was number three. It was something, they were two of the top three fighters in the sport, pound for pound, and the two top guys in their division, and in their mid-20s, and they fought each other. And that wasn't some huge pay-per-view production that was milked for five or six years. They got right to it. And the year before, 1993, Roy fought Bernard Hopkins. Roy was 24 when he fought Bernard Hopkins. B-Hop was 28. Now, B-Hop came to the sport a little bit late. So that age is misleading. In terms of his uh, experience in boxing, you know, B-Hop was still developing. He was still a pup. So these guys were in their mid-20s when they fought. And this was in the 90s, all right? So you don't have to go back to the 70s and 80s to pull these examples. And I can pull more examples like this. But how do we think of Roy Jones? Now, Roy beat James. He beat B-Hop. He, he dominated those guys, right? Roy is seen as a legend in the sport. I just so happened to bump into Roy and hang out with, a, hang out with him a little bit this weekend. And he, you know, it, it was kind of interesting because one of his fighters was fighting here in Atlanta. I should mention, I, I got to hang out at the fights here in Atlanta Friday night and Saturday night at Buckhead Fight Club. Uh, props to Terry Moss, um, Terry the Boss Moss for doing what she's doing here in Atlanta. I really think she's building something here. And I think that 20 years from now, she's really going to be seen as a pioneer in this sport. And I told her Saturday night, probably Sunday morning by then, because <laughs> uh, we stayed and had a few drinks with her and um, some of the staff there at Buckhead Fight Club. Um, awesome people, just awesome people. And uh, I told Terry, she just write a fucking book. This woman could write a book. But anyway, uh, Roy was there. One of his fighters fought on that card. And Roy was like, what's up, Mike? How you been, man? I was, I was like, huh, what? You, you remember me? Oh, okay. Cool. 
<laughs> I've, I've bumped into Roy a couple times, but I did not. Ex Roy meets thousands of people like a week, you know, did not expect him to remember me like that. So that was kind of cool. Anyway, uh, Roy is seen as a legend. Okay. Had Roy waited till he was 35 to fight Bernard Hopkins. That fight would have been actually a lot tougher if he had waited because Behob just got older with age, but still, if he had waited till that age to start taking on the fights he fought, particularly with his style, which started to fade, you know, once the reflexes went, he started to get beat more, right? What if he waited till he was in his mid-30s to fight James Tony, to fight Bernard Hopkins and those kinds of guys? Um, how would we remember him? Will we see him the same way? Does it matter to you guys that Roy Jones took so many losses later on in his career? Does it matter to you that Antonio Tarver knocked him out, that Glenn Johnson knocked him spark out? He was unconscious for several minutes. Do any of you rate Antonio Tarver or Glenn Johnson higher than Roy Jones on your all-time great pound-for-pound list? Part of why we see Roy as such a legend is because he took those fights at 24 and 25. In this era, They'd say, oh, we need to build the fight between Roy Jones and James Tony. We need to build the fight between him and B-Hop. Let's build that shit up, man. Let's build the fans. Instead of getting 300,000 pay-per-view buys, we can get 650,000 pay-per-view buys. That's the talks that they're having right now. Seriously. So that's the kind of shit that drives me nuts. I just think where we're at right now, imagine, okay, right, where we're at right now in the welterweight division, Earl Spence has two belts. Dennis Ugas has one belt. Terrence Crawford has one belt. Now imagine if we were in the exact same situation, except Earl and Bud had already fought twice. And each guy won a fight. They were one and one. So we were here, right, you know, closing up 2021. Same situation with the belts. But let's say the first fight between them did 300,000 pay-per-view buys. The second one did like 500,000. And then we could have a tournament in 2022. And say Spence coming back from his detached retina injury, he fights Keith Thurman. And I know some of you guys will cringe at that, but look, <clears throat> Earl's coming back from an injury, right? He needs a, a tune-up fight. Keith Thurman's perfect. He's a name. He wants a big fight. Hasn't fought in two years, coming off a loss. Perfect. And then you have Bud fight your Dennis Ugas to unify titles. And then the winners of those two fights fight late next year, October, November, something like that in Fox pay-per-view. Boom. The third one does six, 700,000 pay-per-view buys. So combined, all three pay-per-views do a, a buck five, a million five pay-per-views. And these guys split tens of millions of dollars between them in their three fights. By the time the third fight happens, I'm not saying this is going to, it would shatter pay-per-view records and do three million buys and be this huge cultural phenomenon, but it'd be a much, much bigger fight than if they fight each other. It's still a massive if. If they fight each other next year or even 2023, it could happen then. It won't be that big of a fight as what it could be. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm trying to say. All I'm trying to say. So um, I think that's a topic that we can delve into more. Uh, so if you guys want to talk about that on my channel, let me know. By the way, programming note real quick. Uh, I'm not going to do a show Friday on my channel, as mentioned before, uh, for those of you just getting on the chat. My sister is, is going to be uh, having her second son, going to be in the hospital, having her second son. So me and my wife are going to be babysitting for her little one, uh, my, my little nephew, Luca, who turns three in January. So he's a tiny little dude and he's in his terrible twos. 
I'm going to have my damn hands full Friday, okay? So no, no show Friday on my channel. However, Wednesday night, this Wednesday, I'll be joining the Hispanics Causing Panic show uh, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, look for me on there. That should be a lot of fun with G Funky Boxing. I think he hosts that. So I'll be on that show. All right, guys. Okay. Now let's get into this review. Let's just jump right into it. And um, we got much to discuss. Wednesday, November 17th, Queensland, Australia. Tim Zhu improves to 20 0. Unanimous decision win over Takashi Inoue in a junior middleweight 10 round fight. This was basically a shutout, right? 10 rounds to zero. Inoue was down in the 10th round, but this was great experience for Zoo. I thought maybe Zoo would stop him. He almost did. Inoue, man, he's a tough mofo. I'm telling you, those guys from Japan, they could take some punishment, man. They know how to roll with punches and absorb punishment. Uh, but that's pretty much all Inoue did was hang really, really tough. Good experience, 10 hard rounds for Zoo. He still needs to get in there against a guy who can punch back. We haven't seen him do that yet, but this was a good experience for him. Friday, November 19th, Manchester, New Hampshire, matchroom boxing on the zone. Uh, females, Callie Reese, barely, barely squeezes by Jessica Camara to unify 140-pound titles. Some people thought that this was a bad decision and Camara may have won. I thought it was very close, could have won either way, um, could have had a draw. Either way, Callie Reese unifies 140-pound titles. Junior, uh, I'm sorry, Julio Cesar Martinez and McWilliams Arroyo fight to a no contest. This was a flyweight title defense for Martinez, his fourth defense of his flyweight title. Martinez down the first round, Arroyo down the first, and then again in the second, a headbutt caused the stoppage. Uh, Arroyo couldn't continue after the headbutt, so that's kind of disappointing because that's the fight I was most looking forward to. And after the first round, I'm like, holy shit, yes, this is why I was looking forward to this fight. And then, it, you know, headbutt. These things happen. And the co-main, Warrior John Akhmedailov uh, wins an unanimous decision over Jose Velasquez, um, defends his unified 122-pound titles. Akhmedailov is 10-0, and and what he has accomplished in 10 fights, pretty impressive. It's funny, you know, some of the, the biased American fan base, the biased American community that involves media members I talked about at the top of the show, they seem to underrate these guys that come from Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and have records like Akhmedialov's because they're like, oh, it's only 10 fights. Who gives a shit, whether it's 10 or 30 fights? In 10 fights, this guy's already unified belts. And if you look at his resume in 2020 and 2021, where most of the star fighters have kind of taken a breather, look at this dude's last three fights, three solid opponents, and he's handled business. So I, I'm, I'm impressed with his resume. In the main event, Demetrius Andre, TKO2 win over Jason Quigley, finally, finally impresses with a win. Drops Quigley multiple times, um, shows his level, makes it undeniable with this win. Impressive win by Andre. The question is, what's next? He's got the WBO middleweight title. Jaime Munguia is rated number one. The head of the WBO got into a little bit of a Twitter spat this weekend with my homie Steve Kim. And Steve was basically saying these sanctioning bodies need to force these mandatory fights and stop protecting dudes and working with the promoter and all this stupid shit. They're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to mandate fights and force these fights to happen. And the WBO responded, but they basically ended up proving Steve's point for him. They admitted. Yeah, Jaime Mugia's team told us they don't want to fight Andre. And they're basically kind of saying that they're cool with that. 
uh, if your guy's telling you, yeah, yeah, I'm rated number one. I don't want to fight your champion. I'm ducking him. So flat out, I'm just going to put this on record. Jaime Mugui is ducking Demetrius Andre. Who avoids a title fight? That's a duck. He's ducking Demetrius on. I'll go ahead and put it out there, okay? Jaime Munguia and his people want absolutely no part of Andre. From a business point of view, I understand, but let's just keep it real. He's ducking the guy. If you're the WBO, drop him. Well, why is he your number one fighter? They should drop him from the – if you don't want to drop him from the ratings, fine. Maybe you lower him somewhere toward the bottom of the top ten or something, but – their number two fighter at 160 right now is Janabek Alam Kanuli, right? Who is a Kazakhstan fighter, just beat Hassam Indom, TKO8 win to improve to 11 and 0. Bump him up to number one because he is on Twitter all the time saying he's ready to fight Demetrius Andrade. That's a really tough style for, for Boo Boo. Make that fight. If you're the WBO, mandate that fight. They got to have a deal signed by, you know, the end of the first quarter of 2022. Do your fucking job. Make that fight happen. All right, Saturday, November 20th, Artem Delakian scores a TKO9 win over Luis Concepcion's fifth defense of his WBA flyweight title in the Ukraine. Delakian won his title against Brian Valoria in 2018 in Los Angeles on one of those Superfly cards. I was there for that. I was impressed with him. He's had five defenses. They've all been in the Ukraine. I'd like to see him travel. I'd like to see him unify belts. That division's wide open. Delakian has the WBA belt. Junto Nakatani has the WBO. Sonny Edwards has the IBF. And Martinez, who I just talked about, has the WBC. Let's see some unification in 2022. Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas, ESPN Plus pay-per-view. Once again, top-ranked fighters crushing PBC fighters. Um, very, very interesting, that, that dynamic. I did not realize it was that one-sided. Real quick, uh, the undercard I talked about, um, Janabek Alam Kanuli. Uh, beating Hassam Indom, dropped him in the third round. Um, now rated number two by the WBO at 160. I'd love to see him get a crack at Demetrius Andrade. Why not do it? He said he wants it. I take him at his word. Indy Comain, Escivia Falcao, technical decision win over Patrice Volney. This was a 12-rounder. It only went to six. Uh, this was an IBF middleweight title eliminator for Golovkin. A cut stopped the fight over uh, Falcao's left eyebrow, so it went to the scorecards. And really, um, it was a competitive fight at that point, but I could see Falcao starting to pull away a little bit, and I think he would have eventually pulled away in the middle uh, to later rounds. He was just a better fighter. So he's going to be the uh, mandatory for the winner between Golovkin and Murata, which I think will be Golovkin. I think Triple G's first fight in 2022 will be against this Brazilian Escadia Falcao. In the main event, Terrence Crawford, TKO 10 win over Sean Porter. This is for Crawford's WBO welterweight title. Scores at the time of the stoppage were 87-84, which is my score, and 86-85 twice. Uh, that was after the 10th round, obviously. So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, for those of you just getting on, uh, you know, some of the biased PBC sycophants in the American boxing community somehow had Sean Porter way up in this fight. It, it's it's somewhat similar to when Canelo Alvarez fought Caleb Plant. I do think that Sean Porter did better against Crawford than Plant did against Canelo. And the, the biggest reason why is experience. Plant was basically a prospect. You want to call him a contender, fine. But his resume, baby contender, junior contender, forget about the titles for a second. That's all political. 
just in terms, if you took that resume and you traveled in time back to the 90s, Caleb Plant's resume was as a, a junior contender, right? And this was his first like challenge for a real a championship level, A-level, elite level fighter. And he fared well in the first two or three rounds. And then it was kind of one-way traffic after that. Sean Porter did a little better than that against Crawford. But that's because he has so much experience, man. He fought Thurman. He fought Spence. He fought Kell Brook when he was the best welterweight in the world. He fought other uh, solid B-level guys, you know, in the, that PBC welterweight stable. And so he won some of those. He lost when he stepped up against the absolute best. But Porter had so much experience that he could pour into this fight. And that's why he was able to hang tough. But if you watch that fight very closely, Terrence Crawford, Terrence is never going to overwhelm an absolute top-level fighter. He's not going to do that. He's going to set things up for the later rounds. It's kind of similar to what Canelo's doing at 168. He's just not fighting... You know, the, the guys that Canelo fought weren't very good at 168. So that was kind of more of a setup, right? But neither guy, it's their style to go in there and just blow someone away in two or three rounds. You're just not going to see that. You're going to see a guy in Terrence Crawford slowly, methodically break a dude down and set things up. And just before the 10th round, Bo Mack and Bud had a conversation. I'm sorry, just before the 11th round. Sorry. No, no, it was the 10th round. Sorry about that. Just before the 10th round, uh, Bo Mack and Bud kind of had a conversation and Bo Mack kind of gave him the green light. He said, all right, step it up a bit. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, step it up. Because Bud was kind of like, should I step on it now? You think I got him? And Bo Mack was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Step it up. Go ahead, punch on him. You know, punch it up a little bit. And that's what he did. He went out there to the 10th round, drops Porter. Porter gets up. He's a brave, experienced fighter. Immediately gets dropped again. And I told you guys that... This was going to be a measuring stick kind of fight, okay? Um, and it's important to remember that as I continue here. But at this point, there's half a round to go, and then there's two rounds after that to go. And Kenny Porter, Sean's dad, had seen enough. He saw the one-punch highlight reel knockout coming because that's what was coming. Make no mistake. And he didn't want to see that happen to his son, and he stopped the fight. And what's funny to me is whether they're, they're Crawford haters, top rank haters, Bob Arum haters, whatever it is, there's people on Twitter and YouTube and everything else saying, this was a bullshit stoppage. What the hell is that? What the hell are you guys smoking? He was dropped twice. He had His defense was gone. Chin was gone. Legs were gone. The second knockdown showed that because Crawford didn't hit him that hard on the second knockdown. It's more of an accumulation. It was more of exhaustion. And it was more of, of Porter just kind of being buzzed and on and unsteady legs. And it's not as if there was 20 seconds left in that 10th round. There's still half the round to go. And then just two more rounds after that. He was going to get slept. Bud had figured his ass out. It was over. It was over, guys. So great stoppage by Kenny Porter. Um, and, and keep in mind, Kenny is Sean's father. He was in the corner for his, his losses against Kell Brook. Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, who, by the way, dropped Porter, I think, in the 11th round, wasn't able to follow up and close the show, wasn't able to hurt him again, drop him again, buzz him again. In fact, Porter put a little bit of leather back on Spence after that knockdown late in that fight. It was competitive way up until the final bell. That's not what happened in this fight. Kenny, at no point in those fights before, felt the need to stop it. But he immediately... 
after that second knockdown, saw what was coming. This is a guy who's been around boxing his entire life, knows what he's seeing in there better than you, and stopped the fight. Now, I thought it was a great stoppage. Perfect timing. And I wish more corners would do what Kenny did. Now, after that, in a post-fight interview, Kenny Porter said some really weird shit and crossed the line. And I thought really threw his son under the bus. And I'm not sure what the hell was going on there. Okay, so I don't defend any of what Kenny Porter said after the fight. And in fact, I think a lot of it was ignorant and untrue. To say that Sean Porter was not prepared for this fight physically is just stupid. He was on weight, he was in shape, and he performed very, very well, as good as anybody's performed against Terrence Crawford. So I just don't understand those comments. I think it was from a father who was, and this is me just playing psychologist, I have you know no inside information, but it looked like to me a father that was upset and probably didn't want his kid even doing that fight. Probably saw that his kid was kind of checked out to a certain degree and getting a little comfortable with his silk sheets because he had been in some of those pay-per-view fights with PBC, made a few million bucks, has a commentary gig, doing well with that stuff. And probably thought, man, he's all wrong for us, baby. I don't, I don't know if we need this fight. And I think, that, look, it took a long time for Top Rank and, and Terrence Crawford and his team to negotiate this fight with PBC and Sean Porter. Sean had expressed interest years ago, seriously, more than a year or two ago. But it took till now to get this fight. And I understand there was the COVID thing and all that. But even before then, this fight was discussed. I think it's clear now that Kenny and the, some of the folks at PBC kind of looked at this and said, he's all wrong for us, baby. We, we, we don't need this one. But ultimately, Sean Porter, who is, by the way, a class act, one of the best guys in boxing, he retired after this fight. Good luck at retirement, champ. I hope you stay retired. You've earned it. You're truly one of the good guys in this entire sport. And if anybody's earned it, you've earned it. So good luck in retirement. But I think Sean wanted it. And he really thought he could win. And maybe Kenny didn't think so. Um, and maybe that's what part of that thing was after the fight. But regardless of how Kenny acted after the fight, and I don't agree with anything you said. The stoppage, I completely agree with. And this goes back to the measuring stick thing I talked about, okay? Comparing Bud's win over Porter to Earl's win over Porter. Now, Earl's win was two years ago. Okay. Has Sean Porter become shot in the last two years? How many times has he fought? Once, right? Um, did he suddenly get faded? Did he suddenly become faded, suddenly become old? No. I saw a every bit the same Sean Porter in this fight that we saw in the fight against Spence. In fact, he even looked a little bit sharper in some ways in this fight than he looked in his fight at times in this fight against Spence. We saw the same Sean Porter. He didn't suddenly become faded or passed it or shot or whatever else. I saw some of the guys on Twitter saying, we just saw a level. And this is uncomfortable for some people to deal with. But when Porter fought against Keith Thurman, Earl, those fights he lost, but then the other guys that he beat in the PBC universe, all those fights were highly competitive. And when I say highly competitive, I'm talking about distance fights, highly competitive up to the final bell. 
Now, a lot of you are talking on Twitter. Well, this fight was even six rounds in. It was three rounds apiece, six rounds in between Crawford and, Sp and Porter. Sure was. I completely agree with you. I had a three rounds apiece after six rounds. It was one-way traffic after that. Competitive, but one-way traffic. Competitive, one-way traffic. You got me? And, and, and Crawford was setting up the knockout, and he got it. And some of you bloodthirsty ghouls would literally, you, some of you, I guess, would rather see a replay of what Tyson Fury did to Deontay Wilder. He took years off that man's life. Deontay Wilder's ignorance and the ignorance of the people that he kept around him, allowing that to happen to him. He will never be the same human being after that. And some of you guys would have rather seen that than seeing Kenny Porter stop it when he did. I don't understand your mentality. I think that's insane. Uh, to me, this definitive statement that Terrence Crawford made in the 10th round of that fight, where he simply asked his, his coach, yo, should I turn it up a notch? And he's like, yeah. It was like so calm and nonchalant the way they talked about it. It was almost like he was asking, hey, should I flip on that light switch on the wall over there? Yeah, yeah, go flip on that light switch. It's pretty much what they said. And he did it and it worked. Boom, fight's over. Fucking 90 seconds later, fight's over. And you think that Crawford still isn't on that level. You still think he's not the best welterweight in the world. You still think that for years he wasn't avoided. Think about it this way, guys. It wasn't just Earl. It wasn't just the PBC. It was Showtime. It was Fox. These networks who shouldn't have that much of a vested interest in a fight not happening, if you think about it, okay? That's kind of unethical. They refuse to acknowledge the WBO, one of the four major sanctioning organizations, because of Terrence Crawford. That's how much they knew they shouldn't fight him. And y'all are just ignoring that shit. It's like it never happened. Even though, by the way, several PBC guys fought for WBO titles. They refused to put Terrence Crawford on their graphics. Now, I expect that from PBC. I expect that from the couple of journalists that basically work for PBC. You guys know the names. I expect that from the PBC podcast. I expect it. Okay. But I don't expect that from the network, from Showtime, from Fox. Like, that's crazy, man. They, they didn't even acknowledge the WBO existed, yo, for years. And you saw why Saturday night in that 10th round. When things were a little competitive, here's the difference. One guy was giving his absolute 110% best. The other guy was warming up. And then in the 10th round, that guy came out and gave it 10% more. That wasn't even 100% of Terrence Crawford. But that little level more, a few percent more, was enough to completely get rid of the 100% giving it all Sean Porter. The same guy who was competitive up until the final bell against Errol Spence and Keith Thurman. Earl and Keith. And y'all want to tell me there ain't levels to this game? Get the fuck out of here. All right, that's it with the review. Let's get into this preview. All right, Saturday, November 27th. You guys are going to get some 
some Thanksgiving weekend boxing. How cool is this? You don't always get this in the fight game. Uh, Matchroom on the zone, Madison Square Garden Theater in New York. This fight that we thought would never happen <laughs> at one point, it's happening. Tiafima Lopez versus George Cambosis Jr. for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. Tio last fought last October when he beat the former undisputed lightweight champion, Vasily Lomachenko, by unanimous decision in one of the best performances by a young American fighter that we've seen in generations. And Cambosis last fought that same month against Lee Selby in Wembley over there in London on the Chisora Usyk undercard. Man, Usyk and Chisora, that fight just seems ancient right now after we saw what Usyk did to AJ. It was only a year ago, man. Uh, he got a split decision against Selby, but it should have been unanimous. So I like this fight. Um, I think it's going to be more competitive than some people think. However, middle to late rounds, you're going to see levels. You're going to see Tiafima Lopez show that he is truly a special, special fighter. And that lightweight, I've talked about this before. You know, I've met Tio, and he's got big hands. He's got mitts. He's just got bricks for hands, especially as a lightweight. And those heavy hands uh, with his explosiveness and his, his angles, his speed, his athleticism, uh, cause problems. And I, I see a late stoppage win here for Tiafima Lopez. Now, uh, in Las Vegas, we have a card from TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime from the Park Theater in Vegas. Uh, good, good main event here, man. Good main event. A unification of 122 pounds between Brandon Figueroa and Stephen Fulton. I like this fight. This is one of the sleeper underrated fights here in 2021. I've, I've liked this fight was supposed to happen before, and I've liked it since it was announced. Uh, Figueroa, of course, got COVID, right? So it had to be pushed back. So when this was first announced, I, I always favored Fulton. I just think he's a much better fighter, much better stylist and everything. The only thing is Fulton can't punch his way out of a wet paper bag. So I figured this is a distance fight, but I thought that Figueroa would do pretty well and have moments and this might end up being a 115-113 kind of fight. But considering that Figueroa is recovering from COVID, what that does to you in terms of weight, and uh, you're going to put on a little bit of fat when you get COVID. It's just what happens. You got to work that off. It, it does affect some guys' lungs. Some guys get COVID, and they're, they're not any different. Some guys get COVID, and they're very different. It takes them a, uh, that fight or so to get back. We've seen that from multiple fighters, including gym rats like Jamel Herring after catching COVID. His first fight after COVID, he just didn't perform very well. But then that second fight after COVID, he looks spectacular, right? So I, now I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is more of like a 117-111 kind of fight, I think, for Fulton. I think he's going to make a statement in this fight. The only thing missing for Fulton is the power. So natural counter puncher sits back on the back foot, just doesn't have the power. Um, that's the only thing that's going to hurt him. Also on this card, Raiz Alim, friend of the show, has been on the show before, going up against uh, Mexican-born California fighter Eduardo Baez. This is a 122 fight as well. I love this. Smart move by PBC. Um, th this is cool because maybe we get the winners of these two fights, which I think will be Fulton and Alim, to fight in early 2022. Who the hell wouldn't want to see Stephen Fulton versus Raiz Alim? In terms of styles, that'd be fun as hell, man. And both of those guys, uh, good guys, good fighters. So I'd like to see it. Also, uh, Gary Antonio Russell in a showcase bantamweight fight. So that's it for this weekend, man. Like I said, I won't be doing a Friday show uh, because I'm going to have my hands full. So um, that's it for this week. Now, let me uh, real quick, 
I'm going to look at the chat and then we'll go to the phones because I'm sure a lot of you guys have some comments. So uh, if you want to get on the phones, get on the phones. Let's take a look here. Hmm. Yeah, some of you guys are just arguing with each other. Let's see. Dom says Crawford would make Spence do the stanky leg. Probably. Let's see. Ray Valera says, I do think Crawford beats Spence, but I disagree their levels apart. Crawford's just a notch above Spence. No, I, I agree with you on that. And, and, and perhaps I misspoke. Um, when I say levels, I don't necessarily mean that Crawford is levels and levels above the rest of these PBC welterweights. I, I just think that he's he's a notch above. And I, But for the record, if Crawford-Spence happens, I think it's a distance fight. I really, really do. Um, Crawford could maybe stop Spence late, but I would predict it probably goes the distance. I think Spence would play keep away enough and it would go the distance. I, I do. So um, that's how I see that one. Giuseppe LaRocca says Crawford smokes Spence. Spence is way too inactive. I will say this, Giuseppe, um, if, if Spence went right into a Crawford fight early next year without like a tune-up fight, I might agree with you on that. Let's see. Goop Dara says, laugh my ass off. Mike, stop it. You sold it well. That bag isn't worth your soul. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Couster says, Fulton versus Figueroa is where it's at. Hell yeah, I like that fight a lot. And I, I, like, I like Fulton as a fighter. I think he's going to be a really, really good fighter. Let's see. Joe says Cambosis is a live dog. I agree with you. A lot of people think Cambosis is going to be flat. And look, he's an explosive athletic guy and he's hungry for this fight. I think he's going to do better than a lot of people predict. Although I still favor Lopez by, uh, by late stoppage. I just think he's, he's just a, he's a special young fighter, man. Toreen says Bud would beat the dog out of Earl. <laughs> I love your spelling of Earl. U R R L A L. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, he would have a retirement in the ring. Uh, man, that's Earl. That's Ural. Ural. I love that. <clears throat> Goop Dara says, fake pity party fight. Both fighters pulling their punches. Nothing consistent. The entire fight randomly called off after Porter chimped out. Man, that's not what I saw, brother. Go back and watch that fight. I, I think that, um, yeah, it wasn't like this, this entertaining, like, you know, action-packed fight. But I think that Crawford just showed levels, dude. And watch the interaction between him and Bomack in the corner just before the 10th round. Well, I'm telling you, he basically was asking for permission to take it up a notch in the championship rounds. And Bomack said, yeah, go get him. And he did. Uh, that's, I mean, to me, that was like, that was almost goose, goose pimples level shit. Because how many guys can do that in the the late rounds of a fight against a top level fighter like that, man, I think I think you're you're selling Terence Crawford short. I really really do. <clears throat> Twal says Fulton will dominate. I could see that, bro. He's a lot faster, a lot sharper with his punches. He's a sharpshooter. Again, the natural strength and power, um, I guess, advantage goes to Figueroa though. So. We got this. If, if Figueroa's chin and, and like stamina hold up, it's going to get interesting. But I just think that Fulton, too skilled, man, too skilled. 
Let's see. Uh, Trent Nonpareil says Teddy Atlas called it too on his UFC podcast. What called the uh, the Crawford Porter fight? Well, I guess Teddy gets them right every now and then. Joe said I had COVID and felt my balance was just slightly off for a while after I was otherwise feeling better. Okay. Yeah, it's, it, everyone kind of reacts differently. I'll say this, guys. Um, I was forced to get the jab, not to get political and go down a rabbit hole here, but I was forced to get um, the the vaccine, and I got my first shot three weeks ago. I get my second shot this Wednesday, and um, I haven't felt right since I got it. I felt I've, the entire time I felt a little under the weather. I felt achy. My joints have been achy. Anytime I go outside for a run, it is cold here now. But normally I can run in the cold. It's no problem. I've done it my whole life, uh, except when I lived in L.A., of course. But, um, you know, it would be 35 or something, 40 degrees. I'll go out here for a run. That's not too cold. But I come in, I feel achy for a day, the rest of the day. Um, lifting weights. You know, today I did some power cleans and shit, my shoulders. And not the muscle. The joint feels achy. That kind of achiness you get when you got the flu. Um, so I'm hoping that shit goes away after I get the second jab, but I have not felt right since I got the jab, yo. And I, I had to get it for work. I absolutely had to get it for work. So it is what it is. <clears throat> okay. Let's get to the phones. Enough of this. I don't want to start a COVID conversation because YouTube will shut us down. You know how that shit goes. Oh man, we got CJ. And if, okay. I want to hear from CJ. Cool. Cause CJ's out there in Vegas. Let's get him on the phone. CJ, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Ontario, good Monday to you, man. Just out here cutting through traffic, rush hour. People good times. trying to get a early Black Friday shop and all that nonsense in, man. But, you know, had to tap in, you know, especially uh, after what happened over the weekend. As much what happened in the rain, but more so what happened out, you know, immediately after. And, uh, of course, I wanted to get some uh, couple of questions off of you. Did, uh, I guess I'll start with the first one. Did Earl Spence seem like more so of a man that was not happy with the result or that in less than three months, his two best on paper wins just went down the crapper? Damn. <laughs> I didn't think about it that way. But damn, dog, you're right. I think it's the second one. How can, how can you say it wasn't? Yeah, because that's, that's the way that he came off because, you know, you know, everybody that got the chance to see the fight. I mean, first off, Omaha stand up. They they showed up and they showed out of yeah. the arena, man. They they had they had all the aromas in the air and everything. And you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they, they was getting after it out there, man. Um, but the thing that like when you know they showed Earl on the camera, and it was the reaction that Earl had that kind of you know threw me for a loop. Because you know normally when there's another fighter there, be it if it's just for TV on some WWE type mess. You know, the fighter will be like, you know, I'm number one, like, come talk to me. Earl didn't look like that. The way that Earl's response was just to get up and walk out, it was, to me, twofold. One, that now his two best signature wins on paper have been gone. And then the other part is, and this is just a speaking from personal experience, we're looking at a, a fighter that is in his age prime, but in some ways didn't necessarily live the true Spartan life early before the car accident, from all intents and purposes, said that he's gotten better. But now, more importantly, from having my own detached retina that I'm going on two years in January from mm -hmm. having prepared, I can't see that, that Earl's going to be the same fighter. And it's tough for him to try to take a two-and-up fight without taking that bud fight because he's going it's a lose-lose situation for him if he tries to take some kind of tune-up. And if you take the tune-up, everybody's going to say, well, you still ducking bud. 
and then if he doesn't, quite honestly, he'd be going in at a disadvantage trying to take on a fight that would truly be the most important, impactful, and true defining career legacy fight for him. Because even though he says he's a big fish because he's got two of those alphabet belts, Bud Crawford's the best operator at 147 right now. Period. Yep. I don't know how you could deny that. It's like if somebody rates Spence number one because he has two of the belts, that's fine. I'm cool with that. But if you're asked who is the best welterweight in the world right now, if you don't say Terrence Crawford, you're just blind. You're just hating. You're not being honest. He's clearly a notch above these other dudes. It shows because it's brought up earlier when I was listening in. You know, Sean Porter, and tip my hat to him, man, you know, had a hell of a career. He fought everybody in his generation, more so like the De La Hoya, like especially like a poor man's version of De La Hoya, where regardless when we lose a draw, he didn't duck nobody. He took on the best fight. And at the end of the day, he sought out to go get this fight here to try to figure out if it was going to be his legacy definer or his retirement payday. But either way, Sean Porter went out. Both fighters in their careers today, as far as with Bud Crawford or Earl Spence, you'd be a blind man to believe that you would rate Earl Spence's career over Bud Crawford. Hell, at this point, you could even still say if you just match it up at welterweight to welterweight. Because here's something that Earl Spence can't say as far as an entire run or not. Terrence Crawford has stopped every opponent that he's fought at 147 pounds. Oh, yeah, you're right, man. I saw somebody tweet that this weekend. I can't remember who tweeted that. Uh, it was it was a, a writer that I know. Shit, I can't think of the name, but he he tweeted that out that Crawford has stopped every one of his welterweight opponents, and yeah, he hasn't fought the absolute best, but that's saying something for a guy that started at lightweight, and now that includes Sean Porter. Man, that's that's impressive. Let me ask you this, CJ: Would you agree with me that the best win for both Earl and Bud is Sean Porter? That is that is the best win for both those guys, right? Without question, yep. because of the timing, because Sean was still relatively in his prime, uh, like even to his point that he made at the, the post-fight presser, where you know he he looked a lot to what Andre Ward said, where people was trying to get Andre Ward to go to him in the fight to know, like you know you got one more left in you, and Dre would say, you know, why can't I just have one left in? Sean Porter can still go out there and make good money, make interesting fights. Um, I would think that he'd fare well at 54, even though he was a bigger kid as an amateur coming back down because he right, didn't right. have enough crack in his punches to be able to go to 54. But yeah, without question, he's the closest fighter that was in prime for prime that both of them fought. Because the Kell Brook fight, of course, you know that Bud basically got the remains of Kell Brook. But people still now will also look back at that Earl Smith fight when he picked up the BS belt. We still have to remember. Kell Brook was in that fight into the 10th round and was looking sharp, trying to hit, uh, yeah. trying to hit Earl with those chocolate brownies, whatever that nonsense is. But we also have to remember that that was a Kell Brook that was boiling himself back down to 47 after Triple G knocked his other oral bone out. So you can't say that Earl got a true 100% clean Kell Brook. So all the best matchups that you get up saying that Earl got on his record, there's a potential to say that Crawford at 47 Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I think that on paper, Earl has fought more top 10 welterweights 
But like you said, man, Brooke was coming down two divisions, not one, but two. And he had just had his face smashed by one of the hardest punchers in the sport at that time. Uh, There was no tune-up fight for Spence, or I'm sorry, for, for Brooke. He went right into that Spence fight. And I thought he was winning that fight about halfway through. I think I had it like four or two after six or maybe even after eight rounds. That was a highly competitive fight. And I give Spence credit because he went on the road to win that fight. So I was very impressed with that part of it. But it was absolutely not anywhere near the version of of Brooke that Triple G fought or certainly not the version that Sean Porter fought. So um, I can't rate that as highly as his win over Porter. The measuring stick is the Sean Porter fights. And Bud hit a different level in the championship rounds and stopped Sean Porter. That's the difference in the, in the two fights. And, you know, for folks that want to get on Kenny Porter or how he stopped the fight, you hit the spot on earlier. At the end of the day, be more so bad as fathers of Trayvon's sons. You know, for any man that's blessed enough to have a child, even if you sit there and be as militant as you say you're going to be, and, you know, you're training him to be a killer, and you got war on the back of your, your, your trunks and all that, at the end of the day, that man lives 500 yards away from his son. And he wants to know that his son's going to have a good future. Now, anyways, you brought it up, too. I completely agree with that, the fact of you take all that other jibber-jabber back to the dressing room. Like, that showed bad Cooper to how Kenny played that out. But yeah. you understood what Kenny was trying to say. Yeah. You know, because you, you try, like, to lock into what was going on with the fight, but then when you take a step back and think of it, if this is a 28-year-old Sean Porter, do you really believe that he would have been doing a seven-and-a-half, eight-hour telecast for Wilder Fury 3 less than a month before? Absolutely not. You've been locked in, thinking that this is the only thing that matters is to try to make that fight. You can't say that Sean had one foot out the door, but he was already thinking of what's next, and he brings it up on his podcast, that he's looking to, you know, to enhance those things in life and that he wants to be able to build a legacy. Most, quote, killers in the sport, the only thing they're thinking about is the glory they're going to have in the ring. Mm. That doesn't mean that Sean didn't train hard. So for Kenny to come back and say that Sean wasn't prepared by the Paris Crawford, if anything, that's the old adage that you're pointing one finger, but you got three coming back at you. What is that saying about you being the trainer? Yeah. Because you wasn't saying all that anytime you got in front of those cameras going up to fight week. You were saying he had a tremendous camp. You know, y'all are up in the altitude, down the block over here. Crossing, you know, putting in all that work. Woo, woo, woo. You, you can't come back now and say that. That's the one part out of this whole thing. That, and I'm glad that it, it's a minor thing in all of it but it's not to discredit the great success that Sean had in and out of the ring, but it, I'm glad that people are going to not so much completely overshadow it, but not make as big of a deal about it. Cause that's just not what you wanted to hear, you know, for the last words coming out of yes. your mouth when you're about to train the kid, you know, and I truly hope that Sean does stay out of the ring. And I, from what it seems like, you know, he, he's going to be on that track. And as far as with Bud, if, uh, if Bud doesn't make this fight happen with Porter, I'm sorry, with Spence, there's he's going to have that looking over his shoulder problem in the 147 division mm-hmm. and if he doesn't get that fight the only other real realistic thing to quote pad his legacy which is already there for canastoa is to go to 54 and go fight the uncrowned undisputed champion because i believe the beat charlo 
and just got a Texas draw. But I do like out of all the nonsense that the, the sanctioning bodies do, I do like the BO's rule where if you're yeah. the defending champion above or below that weight class, you immediately become the mandatory challenger. And Cassano would take that fight, and PBC might even work, be willing to make that fight. And then if anything else, that's a chess move while Earl's still playing chess, I'm sorry, checkers, because then, you know, Crawford will already be at that weight class that we know that Earl has already been talking about trying to go up to because he's been boiling himself down in a lot of ways. And he's trained by Derek James, who controls the other half of those belts with the Charlo. So it's, there's not too many options for Bud outside of fighting Earl at 47. If not, go to 54, go pick up that 54 scrap, defend it one other time in Omaha, and then go enjoy, you know, watching your kids go wrestling and pick up trophies and all that. That'd be the way to go back out. But anything else at 47, he's going to be looking over his shoulder. He's going to take some of take some of those defenses, not lightly, but it's not going to be the same kind of hunger. And do I still believe that he can beat a virtual Ortiz? Absolutely. You know, if Boots Dennis be a hell of a fight, he's going to have to be in it with a dog. But what is it really going to do to extremely stamp his legacy? Really nothing. It'll just be title defense. Mm-hmm. And he won't ever catch the multiple, the most title defenses at 47. So what is it really going to do? Good points, man. Good stuff, CJ. You always got good stuff, man. I'm going to hey, jump to the next call, though, brother. In, y'all, yeah, like y'all say, smash that like button for, uh, that like button for the guy. All right, man. I'll catch you with you on the way. Enjoy the holiday. Say what up to Tiff, and y'all be safe on your way up there. Ah, right, you too, bro. Talk to you soon, man. All right, now. Later. All right, uh, real quick in the chat. Uh, Torian Falk, I, I think this is a great comedy. So Sean Porter reminds me of a welterweight version of Ken Norton. Fought everyone, lost most of the major fights, but he's he's still a warrior. Yeah, I think I, I like that comparison. I think it's a good comparison. I can absolutely see that. Because he won some, lost some. Some of the decisions were close, debatable, you know, just like with Ken Norton. Uh, Sam A with the super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate that, bro. He says, uh, too many fighters quitting after headbutts when it's clear they can still fight. Three this week ended like this. Whatever happened to guys gutting it? Yeah, here's the thing, Sam. You just don't know because you're not inside their body. Um, You know, I fortunately for me in my limited fighting experience and training experience, uh, I've never really had a bad headbutt. I've been thumbed before and that sucked, but I've never had a bad headbutt. And I guess maybe it's just because of my height. You know, I, I, I don't get in uh, too close with my head uh, like some of the smaller guys do. But um, so I can't say, but you know, I've talked to plenty of fighters that have been there and they say it's, it's just different. It's just like sometimes you get a headbutt and you shake it off instantly. It's just kind of like you're wobbled for a second and you know, you hear that noise when you get buzzed a little bit some swirls or some shit is gone. And then there's other times where you, you get that headbutt and your, your vision almost goes and, and you know, your peripheral vision's gone. Um, I've had guys tell me that like, you know, they hear that buzzing sound that like beeping noise in the back of their head uh, that their legs are gone, that they can't hear. They, they can't hear for a couple minutes and they just hear that beep, you know, that kind of noise. I've had guys tell me all kinds of stuff. So, if you're just not inside their body. You, you just don't know. Um, but I'm with you, bro. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. For that kind of stuff, I always try to give the fighter the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I really, really do. Because um, what fighter would – so like with with Arroyo and, um, and Martinez, right? 
that was what the second round. And, and I get it that Arroyo had been put down twice. So it looks bad, but um, in that situation where he's at, you know, from a business standpoint and everything else, you could kind of understand why he was like, I can't continue. Doesn't necessarily look very good, but yeah, I just, every situation's different. If it's the 10th round championship fight, and everything's on the line. You're doing well. You're ahead on the cards. Maybe, maybe you give it an extra effort. If it's early on before the fifth round, it's a little different. So anyway, <clears throat> all right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, let's see here. Nacho. Let's hear what Nacho's got to say. What's up, man? How you doing? Nacho, what's up? Hey, Mike. What's oh, going on? What's hey, up? Nothing much. Uh, nothing much, uh, Mike. Uh, so just in regards to uh I'm gonna start off with uh, Porter uh Crawford. Um, I don't know, like kinda like what you were saying uh earlier on Twitter about how there's just certain people out there who legitimately are not trying to give Crawford any credit for the win. I mean, I'm sorry, like I'm getting really annoyed at these dudes who before the fights happen, especially when it comes to PBC guys, they're all rah rah and saying, Oh, this guy's good this guy's gonna do this this guy's gonna do that and then as soon as the guy ends up losing then all of a sudden they try to uh say oh well you know what he wasn't that great uh you know he he was real limited like they just start coming up with every excuse in the book and it's getting really um annoying and just really old at this point to hear these dudes constantly um you know hype these dudes up uh before the fight and then throw them under the bus after the fight it's like come on it's like either you 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 roll with your guy through thick and thin or you're just a front runner who is on the bandwagon when they win uh and you're off when they lose you know like that that's just getting really uh tiresome at this point to keep seeing these dudes do that um i think i have to agree with the guy who called right before me about i think the only thing bud can do is either stick around at 47 and try to defend against these guys like Boots or Virgil or maybe, maybe he gets a shot at Ugas even possibly, but I just don't see the Spence fight happening, Mike. I think Saturday night was an indication of what Spence feels about that fight. I think he went there to, to think that if Porter did the job for him and somehow managed to beat Crawford, he could silence all the critics and be like, look, I told you this guy wasn't any good. Porter just beat him and I beat Porter. So he was looking at, at it as like his uh, get out of jail free card. Yeah. And as soon as he saw him get stopped and, and Crawford got the win, he just hightailed it out of there and tucked his tail between his legs and ran out. So at this point, I'm not even holding my breath. That fight's going to happen. I think Spence is probably going to try to fight Ugas for his belt. And then if he wins, he's just going to uh, say, oh, I can't make 47 anymore, so I'm just going to move up to 54. That's what's most likely going to happen uh, with with that dude. So I think Crawford just has to, you know, go out there and, uh, you know, uh, make defenses as much as he can at 47 and then eventually move up and fight somebody at 54 because uh, – if he wants to get the showdown against Spence, it's going to have to happen at 54. I don't see it happening at 47. And then uh, with uh, uh, Janabek, I mean, man, that 
that referee, Kenny Bayless is horrible. <laughs> I don't understand how you let that poor guy end um just get teed off on for like four or five rounds. They could have legitimately stopped that fight after the fourth or fifth round. Like yeah. that poor guy just got beat up for no reason. And you can see he has nothing left. And the only thing that was keeping him up was his toughness. And I think that's horrible that they let that guy go out there. If there was a guy, if there was a guy who should have been uh, saved by throwing in the towel, it should have been Endam. If, if anything, that poor guy just got ruined. I hope we never see Endam uh, in a ring again. But unfortunately, I think he's eventually going to get another fight at at some point or another, which is a sad uh, case. Um, I would like to see Janabek, like you were like uh, somebody pointed out, since he's calling out um, Andre. I'd be very interested to see if uh, he would get the shot at Andre. Uh, something tells me I don't think they want any part of that dude, and I have a feeling they're going to try to see if they can entice Mungia. But I, I think Mungia is not going to be interested. I think he's going to go after Charlo, or he's going to he's going to go after the winner of. Uh, He's going to go yeah. to Triple G. They Triple don't want G Charlo either. Mungia wants no part of Charlo. Uh, I don't know, Mike. I think after his last performance, I think he's very vulnerable at this point. No, uh, I, I, I agree sure with you on that, but he doesn't bring the financial benefits that Triple G does. I think that's going to be Triple G, Mungia later next year, and that's a big fight, bro. They could do that in Texas, Vegas, California. It does a big crowd in any of those states. Oh, yeah, no, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I could see that. Okay. Um, and then just real quick about the uh, the zone card. Um, man, McWilliams Arroyo, I'm sorry. I lost a lot of respect for that dude. He came out guns blazing. He dropped Martinez. It looked like he might pull off the upset. And then all of a sudden, as soon as Martinez started turning the tide and really started putting it on him, he just up and went and said, oh, I got butted. I can't see. Um, you know, like that's it. I can't continue. And I was just really disappointed. I mean, like you said, having never been in an actual pro boxing uh, match, I can't necessarily put myself in those shoes as far as what he did. But I just think it's a bad look that, you know, he was starting to get beat up. And I genuinely think that he figured, well, if I say I got hit in my eye or headbutted in my eye and I can't see, then they're going to have to stop the fight. And it, it, it's just a, it sucks for Martinez because I think eventually he would have got a Royal out of there. I agree. Um, I agree. I'd like to, I'd like to see a Royal take on, um, Sonny Edwards because Edwards has been calling for that fight. So hopefully they Martinez? can make that fight happen. Uh, yeah, Martinez. Yeah. 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 I, I'd like to see him take on Edwards next in a unification, uh, for sure. And then, uh, with, um, Andre, I don't get this bending over backwards and, and praising him for stopping a guy like Jason Quigley, Mike. At this point, he was supposed to do that. Yeah. Like, when you're a world champion and you're fighting a guy who's not on your level, who's like a C-plus level guy, you're supposed to go out there and wax him in two rounds. And it's just kind of comical how all of these uh, people are out here, uh, you know, trying to make it sound like Andre beat like a top five contender. Uh, the other night when he beat Quigley. It's like, that dude's not even a top 30 uh, contender. So I, I don't understand this, like, praise for Andre for doing what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to take a guy out like that in two rounds. 
not let him hang around and then win a boring decision and then cry about uh, why uh, Canelo or Charlo or Munguia doesn't want to face you. I mean, good for him that he won the fight, but, man, he needs to put more performances like that together before anybody will take him as a legitimate threat to any of those guys at, at 160. And uh, as far as this weekend, Mike, I think you're um, – uh, I, I'm definitely uh, interested in seeing Lopez Cambosos, but I think Lopez should win that fight. I mm-hmm. think he's just the the bigger, uh, more skilled guy, so I think he should win that fight. I think he gets a a late stoppage in that fight, probably like nine or ten. And then in the other card, which is the one I'm really interested in seeing, is uh, Fulton F- uh, Figueroa. I think Figueroa, in a way, is kind of tailor made. For Fulton, like the same way uh, Porter was made for Crawford, unless Figueroa does something completely different and tries to, you know, stay outside and fight from distance, I don't see him beating Fulton uh, coming forward. I think Fulton will figure him out, counter him, and then eventually probably beat him. Uh, But I I definitely want to see the fight. I want to see how it goes uh, this week, and it should be a, a really good fight. All right, Mike. That's my call. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Good stuff as always. Yeah. Yeah. We got ringside reporter here in the chat. What's up? I'm guessing it's Beeb. It's either Beeb or Eric, but thank you so much for the super chat. He says, wake up, Nacho. Hey, once Nacho got going, he was, he was, he was good. It just took him a minute to to wake up. (laughs) Uh, Tariq with the super chat. Thank you so much, man. He says, uh, boo boo, stop playing with his food and ate it. That's why we are so happy he did what he did against Quigley. I agree. And, and by the way, um, I agree, you know, with Nacho that, you know, this is what Andre was supposed to do, but he finally did it. So to your point, Tareen, we're all happy because like, yeah, it's what she's supposed to do, but we've been saying it for forever. He finally did it. So, you know, you when you see potential in somebody, it, it, it aggravates you when they don't fulfill their potential. So when you finally see them fulfill their potential, you're like, boom, that's what I've been saying, you know? So it was just kind of this epiphany moment uh, where Andre kind of showed us, yeah, he is this guy. He is a good, talented fighter. You know what I'm saying? When he really puts it all in there. Style-wise, Quigley was made to order, but there's other guys he's been in there with that were made to order that um, he uh, just kind of, took the distance, you know, and just, it did, didn't look good, but this time he looked really good. But uh, back to Arroyo, you know, Sam earlier with the super chat comment and then Nacho, uh, you guys are, are kind of convincing me here. I guess maybe Arroyo was looking for a way out. I'm just going to say, again, we weren't in his body. We don't know. So I'm always going to try to give a fighter the benefit of the doubt for what's going on in the ring. Now, when it comes to business stuff outside the ring, I'll definitely be a lot more critical. But when they're inside the ring, you just don't know what someone's going through because you're not in their body. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to be overly critical because, yeah, we just weren't feeling what he was feeling at that point. But I absolutely get your guys' point of how the optics of that situation look. All right, back to the phones we go. We got a UK call. Oh, yeah. 777, you are on the show. What's going on? How you doing there, Mike? It's Nige from the UK. Nige, what's up? Oh, all good, mate. All good, thank you. 
I've literally just finished watching the uh, Crawford Porter fight, literally just a few minutes before ringing, basically. You know what I mean? So just to give it another watch. And um, normally I come to the show a little bit more prepared, but I'm going to shoot from the hip on this one. So um, talk about the old Crawford Errol Spence after the Porter fight. With Spence leaving straight away, pitch move. Hate to say it, hate to be like, you know, less eloquent than I normally am, but <laughs> straight up bitch move. I have to call it how I see how you just walk, you know, walk, you know, I just don't like it. It's just a bad look for Errol Spence. And all of a sudden those PVC fanboys coming out of the woodwork, trashing Sean Porter and not giving them, you know, credit where credit's due. Of course. It's just Trashing their own guy. Oh. Trashing their own guy, Nige. Yeah. What's up with that? Exactly. This is the thing. Right. And, 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 and let me tell you something right now. And I mean this, right? So I want everyone to pay attention. If Sean Porter was British, he'd be a fucking superstar over here with regards to how he fights and his attitude and everything like that. Mm. Consummate professional. He really, really, really would. And, he, and I, I just kind of wish that he didn't go to the PVC if he'd have gone to top rank or just, just another outfit. Maybe he would have played out better because mm. while he was at um, PVC, he's like um, obviously the star of the show was um, Errol Spence Jr. Do you know what I mean? And I just feel that uh, maybe Sean could have been treated better, even even though despite the uh, fights with Thurman and Garcia and Ugas, you know. But nonetheless, man, you know, Sean Porter is a credit to the sport, and he will be missed. We need more Sean Porters. Agreed. That shadow of a doubt, right? And that small. And, and that, that minority, though they have a loud voice, you know, minority on the left, right? Okay, people need to just, you know, shut them, you no, know, shut them down and set them straight because it's getting tiresome now. It really, really, really is. Yeah, tired of it. Really, am. Yeah, Sean Porter deserves deserves his flowers, as they say, and Crawford <laughs> deserves all the credit in the world. You know what I mean? Yep. Excellent performance, and this is, you know. A competitive match between two of the best of the division. Well, amongst the best of the division, shall we say? Not exactly number one, number two, but you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. So these are the kind of fights you want. So I just don't. You know, I mean, the, the boxing fans are the weirdest fucking bunch of you know sport fans. They in the really world. are. You never man. Them, can you? Yeah. 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 And um, I have to say, um, touching on about um, Andre, um, like you said, he was he did what he's supposed to do against uh, Jason Quigley. I mean, um, <clears throat> so it's about it's about goddamn time. To be honest with you, John. You know I mean? It's like it's about goddamn time he did what he was supposed to do, so not drag it out. You know what I mean? So I'm glad for that. I'm happy for that. You know, but also on that same card that uh, that women's fight between Reese and Kamara, that was a fantastic fight. That you, yeah, that was a fantastic fight. I think the winner faces um, Chantel Cameron for like all the belts, basically. Yeah, so. Just want to give that a shout out. If you haven't seen it, everyone just jump on the zone, watch that fight. Kelly Reese against okay, so I think the surname is Kamara. Brilliant fight. Really, really, really was good. Good entertaining fight. It was good scrap. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, Mike, at all. Yeah, I saw it. No, the girls always bring it, man. They always bring it. And um, now, who did you think won? Because a lot of people didn't like the decision. Who won in your eyes? Um, I edged it to Kamara. Okay. Okay, I yeah, you're not alone. Kamara. You're not alone. I, I under, yeah, I understand that Kelly Reese definitely came on and uh, came on in the last few rounds, but I think overall, I think the more 
significant jarring shots and you know the ones that more op- the more optically pleasing ones came from Kamara you know Kamara you know and because it took a while for Reese to try to get a range and try to get the jab working to advantage but that happened later on in the fight at the beginning it's like and Kamara was just waiting for it to kept, kept countering over the hooks and the overhand right you know, overhand right was, yeah it was really good but I think Kamara just did enough for me. Okay. Yeah, you're not yeah, alone. A lot, right. a lot of people thought that Reese did not win that fight and didn't like the decision. So, okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was close. It, and it was close, but yeah, that's that's where I saw it. And um, just touching on about uh, Mungia, as um, Macho mentioned, um, is the annoying thing. Mungia has been mandatory for quite a while now. Yeah, take it back a year or so with the video. So he could have, you know, he's and, and obviously being a former 154 pound champ, he couldn't. It could he not invoke a mandatory Astro shot like Usyk did with the Joshua? Absolutely, Joshua, oh, he, he has he done. zero yeah. interest in that fight. And I'm I'm actually looking here on Lance Pugmire's Twitter profile. Igas um, mm. Klimas has filed a motion with mm. the WBO for Janabek Alam Kanuli to be designated mandatory challenger for Demetrius Andrade. The WBO meets Tuesday yep. to consider the request. So Jaime Munguia, I think, is going to be out because he basically told them straight up he wants no part of it. And by the way, Lance Pugmire says that uh, Jermel Charlo, Brian Castaño is expected, the rematch is expected next February in Houston. So I wanted to put uh, both of those things on the record here on the show. <clears throat> yeah, I heard about the um, the Castagna and uh, Charlo rematch. I'm hoping it's around my birthday weekend in February, man. That'd be quite sweet if that happens. Like that. That'd be cool. It's a good fight. Yeah, um, and I think, and I got to say, I think I edge it towards Charlo, and I think Charlo stops him late because um, I think Castagna, as effective as he is, he only has one style and one way of mm. competing. Now Charlo's seen it; he knows what how to deal with it. I think Charlo. Good stuff, man. That's all I see. Yeah. Right. Um, I'd like to, yeah, but I'm going to uh, let you go, man, and uh, appreciate the call and whatnot. And uh, yeah, keep uh, keep up the good work, Mike, as always. All right. Loving the shirt, by the way. Thanks, Nigel. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. You take care. You yeah. too. Yeah, um, I wanted to make sure I get that on the record because I saw a few of you guys in the chat uh, mentioning it that um, Charlo Castano. Hasn't I don't know if it's officially been announced, but it is um, supposedly going to happen early next year in Houston. I like that. I like that they're getting right to it, man. They're not going to wait till May or June. Hopefully, it really does take place February. And then it being in Houston, obviously, that's a major benefit to Charlo. I tend to agree with Nigel, though. I think that, you know, Brian Castaño, I think, did pretty much what he could do in that first fight. Um, I don't know if he can raise his game in the rematch. I think Charlo can. I think that it was a little bit of home cooking to benefit Charlo to get the draw in that first fight, to get to this rematch where he can make adjustments and uh, just perform a little bit better. And I think he's going to win the rematch. I favor Charlo to win that second fight. Uh, Where does that leave Tim Zhu who wants to fight the winner? Um, I think that perhaps he would be in line to fight the winner. He'd be the mandatory and he would be in line to, I guess, fight the winner later next year. 
Um, so that could get very interesting because where does that fight end up? You know, let's say Charlo beats Castaño. Uh, they're not going to want to travel to Australia. They will move heaven and earth to avoid going to Australia to fight Tim Zhu. Brian Castaño obviously would go to Australia. Uh, he'd fight anywhere. But Charlo doesn't want to leave America. So then it's going to get interesting. And maybe PBC really, really shells out the cash to bring Zoo over here to Las Vegas or something like that. So that negotiation will be one to keep an eye on. All right, let's jump back to the phones. We got New York City on the line. All right, cool. Uh, 929, you're on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Montero? Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller, I guess. Oh, cool. How you doing, man? Good. Who are we talking to? Uh, Virtuoso. Virtuoso. All right. What you got, brother? Yeah, man. Nah, man. I just wanted to talk about um last fight, uh, last uh, Saturday scrap between Crawford uh, um Porter. I thought it was uh, a really good welterweight matchup. You know, finally a, a fight that, you know, an in-prime fighter that Crawford finally has. But, you know, due to the circumstances that we... Uh, that were brought forward to me, you know, for years of uh, watching these uh, YouTube channels that are basically telling in good faith that Crawford has been uh, avoided. Um, he finally made a statement, and that statement pretty much uh, got uh, arrowed the heck out of here, man. I <laughs> um, can't say uh, enough about uh, Porter. I think he's a great professional, truly a very uh, game fighter, always brings it, you know. And to me, he's, you know, he has. Out of all the welterweights, I feel like he has the best work ethic, even though he's not the most successful. But Crawford, to me, you know, is like a well-prepared fighter, a well-educated fighter. The man knows how to box, and he knows how to fight. You know, and he showed on Saturday, you know, what the difference is between them. You know, he left no doubt to me that he is uh, the elite of the elite, you know, welterweights, you know, in the world. Um, uh Unfortunately, um, he's leaving top rank, which means that he's not going to get to fight uh, Taylor, who I think yeah. is going to move up. Yeah. And that would be a great fight, you know, to me. I like that fight better than um, Crawford versus Spence because Spence has not shown any interest in the fight. I think he's classless. And to me, uh, there's just too much bickering between those two. Um, who knows? Maybe it could happen, but for me, realistically, I think if he goes to PBC, it's going to be on a one-off. It's going to be on a fight-by-fight basis because he doesn't know when Errol is going to come back. I think I think if he were to do that for the PBC, he would fight Uga just to get the WA strap and be unified. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I could also see PBC shutting them out and they make a fight between Spence and Ugas early next year in the spring, yeah. you know, like Fox pay-per-view, something like that, to unify the belts and further shut Crawford out. So he's in a tough spot, but I'm with you, man. I'd love to see him and Taylor fight. I think that'd be a really, really fun fight. Yeah. I want to see Tio and Taylor fight first, and then the winner of that fight mm-hmm. fight Crawford. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know, man. He's in a tough spot. I, I honestly I think I think Taylor's too big for Tio. Um mm. if I would probably put my, my uh I would probably put my chips where uh the Cepeda fight. Or um, okay. Jose Ramirez before he faces Taylor. Um, I don't even know if he's going to stick around because he's got one more mandatory, and then he has to decide whether I stay or do I go. You know, yeah, uh, one forty. 
But um, yeah, man, um, I, I'm just uh, looking forward to next year, you know, see what's up the pipe. I, I, I did hear the news that um, um, Charlo and Castaño are finally getting on. Mm-hmm. They wasted no time, you know, get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, get this thing, get this ball rolling. Um, I don't think um, Tim Zhu is quite ready there. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, he hits hard, but like for my liking, I think he hits get hit way too much, and he's never been hit by a guy like Castaño's caliber or, or Charlo. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, the rankings, you know, puts him there, whatever, you know. But I don't think he's quite there yet. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. If if I were them, I would take a interim fight against, I don't know who, maybe a Lara, even a Trout, just yeah. just a guy like that where uh-huh. you you know a little resistance in that fight, build yourself up a little bit before going to the top. Yeah, or or J Rock, if it's possible. That'd be great. Training, yeah, like, that's a great you suggestion. Could, you could box. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Uh, thanks for taking my call, man. It's been great talking to you, man. Thank you so much, man. Call in again, all right, brother? Have a good one. No problem, man. Peace out. And uh, a great question here from American Boxing Fan. He says, is Porter a Hall of Famer, Mike? And I've seen a few people talking about this. I don't think so. And I'm not saying that, you know, to to diss Sean. I think the world of Sean Porter, because I agree with what Nigel said before. If Sean was a UK fighter, he'd be huge over there. He really, really would. If Sean was an MMA fighter, he'd be huge here in America. He's got that kind of record. You know, he's got that MMA, UFC kind of record where he fights everybody, loses some, wins some. Uh, but he'd be, I think he'd be huge over there in that, in that sport. But, you know, as much as I like him, great guy. He's just not a Hall of Fame level fighter. He's just not, you know, um, I, w- I wouldn't vote for him as much as I like Sean. Hall of Fame human being, Hall of Fame human, but just not a Hall of Fame fighter, in my opinion. <clears throat> Nacho in the chat uh, asked, do I think Raiz Salim will get the winner of Fulton Figueroa? I think so. I, I think, you know, they're both fighting on Showtime. Uh, 122, he's the co-main for that fight. I think that that's what they're trying to build to next year. I like that move by PBC. I think that's smart business. So PBC is going to be set up well for the first quarter of 2022 if they make if they continue making these kind of moves. Because I like that Charlo Castaño rematch in February. And hey, man, you know if around that time or March or something we get Alim versus Fulton because I think he'll beat Figueroa. Um, I, I think I like that fight a lot. Absolutely. Twall says, if Mikey Garcia is a Hall of Famer, Sean is an all-time great. In my in my opinion, neither guy did enough. Mikey, not even close. I'm with you, but Mikey's probably going to get in. I won't vote for him, but he's probably going to get in. Um, and a lot of it has to do with demographics. I'm sorry. It just is what it is. Uh, the family he comes from, him being out of L.A., uh, all the juice in the boxing media is on the West Coast. It's not in New York. It's in L.A., and the guys that are going to be voting, uh, Nat specifically, you know, five years from now, whenever it is, when he's finally been retired for a while, um, all those guys out there in Cali are going to vote for him. All the Vegas guys are going to vote for him. A lot of the younger voters will vote for him. It just is what it is. Sean won't get in there, but I think at some point, uh, Mikey probably will. Myself, I won't vote for either of them. All right, guys, that's it for the show. Boom. Have a great Thanksgiving. 
And um, I'll see you guys next Monday because we won't be doing the show Friday. However, I did a radio interview last night, national sports radio interview, and I'll be posting that on my channel in the next uh, day or two. So look for, for that. All right. Have a great night, guys. And uh, I'll see you soon. Love you guys. See you at the fights. Peace.